everyone. I am reading from Luke 2. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. A few weeks ago, I shared something that the Spirit of God asked me to reshare. Sometimes He wants an emphasis on something why there is a reason to celebrate Christmas. Christmas means Christ's Mass or the Lord's Supper, or communion. The very first Christmas was held 2,000 years ago. It was held in an unexpected place, a place that was not honored by men. There was no trumpet sounding to announce to Israel that a king had been born. Instead, we see that the angels came to shepherds that were abiding in the fields. Right outside of Bethlehem is a place called the Watchtower of the Sheep. And it is a place where all the sacrificial lambs were born. The firstborn lambs that would be taken to the temple that were without blemish. They would be taken to the temple that would be sacrificed for the atonement of sins. So as the shepherds came and they knelt down at a manger, they found God hidden in a baby. God as a lamb. God wrapped in swaddling clothes. Because when the, when the lambs were born, they would take them and they would wrap their limbs in swaddling clothes to protect them. And they would put them in a manger, which is a feeding trough filled with straw to protect them. So as they came and they bowed down before a baby, they were bowing down before a lamb that was wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. But they did not understand that they were beholding the king of the universe. They were holding the king of creation. He who had flung the stars into the sky. He who had caused the, the galaxies to spin. He who had laid the very foundations of the universe. They now bowed before. But they also did not know that this lamb hidden as God in a baby would one day take those tiny fists and they would be outstretched and they would be pierced. Nor did they know that his skull would be pierced with a crown of thorns. They did not know. Mary, even as she held the Lamb of God in her arms, did not know as she held and supported his back that one day it would be lacerated with 39 stripes for our healing. They did not know that God was hidden as a lamb in a baby. That is the reason for the season. That is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. Because he so loved us. When we say Merry Christmas to one another, we are literally saying, Come, let us rejoice. Let us celebrate. Because a lamb has been born. The blood of a lamb has saved the world. Hallelujah. Let's go back into here. Here I am to worship. Everybody stand up one more time if you don't mind. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. For the Lord says that I have raised up a remnant church in this day and in this hour that have looked for redemption. They have fasted, they have prayed, not just for years, but they have prayed and fasted for decades looking for my redemption. And the Lord says, in this day, in this hour, the Lord says, I will not only redeem the time, I will not only redeem your family, the Lord says, I will redeem the call that I placed upon your life. For the Lord says, I am redeeming the time and I will cause that which has seemingly gone by the wayside to be accelerated. And the Lord says, I'm going to catch you up to your destiny. For the Lord says, I've called you not only to be redeemed from your sin, but I've called you to be redeemed from the power of the wicked one. For the Lord says, have I not given you power? Have I not given you authority? over the wicked one for the Lord says in Christ you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power and might have I not placed my spirit of might upon you have I not caused as it were my spirit of glory to rest upon you for truly you are coming into a time into a place of redemption for I will redeem the time I will redeem your family I will redeem everything says the Lord for I've called you up and I've called you out for such a time as this and I will cause that which has been delayed not to be denied but it shall come forth for I am your deliverer I am your redeemer says the Lord arise and shine for my glory's risen upon you in this day in this hour look for your redemption in the coming years says the Lord for it is coming even as I am coming the king of glory the Lord of hosts I am strong in my in battle and I am fighting for you says the Lord I'm not only for you I am with you says the Lord so do not run and hide but come out of the shadows and press toward the mark for the prize of your high calling in me arise and shine for my glory's risen upon you this is the day and hour of my power these are the days of my glory says the Lord hallelujah give him praise Give him glory. Let's go back into here I am to worship. Come on, church. Come on, let's sing it. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to You're my God. 
give you the praise and the glory. Father, we honor the king who was a child, who was a babe in the manger. Father, we honor the lamb that was slain before time began. Father, we honor the babe that was born. We celebrate the babe that was born, Father. Lord, we celebrate the child that was given. We celebrate the Redeemer. We celebrate the Savior, the Healer. All that Jesus is, we celebrate Him tonight. We give you praise. We give you the glory. You're the Redeemer. You're the Healer. You're the Deliverer. You're the bright and morning star. You're the Alpha. You're the Omega. You're the beginning. You're the end. You're everything, oh God. And we praise you. We give you glory this night. Hallelujah. Give Him praise, church. Come on. Shout unto God. We give you praise, glory, Jesus, mighty, mighty name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Worship team, awesome job tonight. Give them a hand. We're going to get right into the word tonight. How many of you had a blessed Christmas today? We have a lot to be thankful for, do we not? <clears throat> this is going to be one of the shortest messages I've preached, I think. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, but yeah, we'll see. Amen. Praise the Lord. We don't want to keep you too long, uh, but some of you don't have to go to work tomorrow, right? Uh, so maybe we can stay a little bit longer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The title of this message tonight is, Unto, a, Unto Us a Child is Born. If we could get on the slides, that'd be awesome. Unto Us a Child is Born. Unto Us a Son is Given. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you could help Cindy out in the... There she goes. All right, here we go. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can turn over to there. If not, you can just look up on the screen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Say with me, a child is born. And unto us a son is given. You can go ahead and turn the slide, uh, Cindy. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful. Say with me, Wonderful. wonderful. Counselor. Say with me, Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Everlasting. Prince, of Prince of Peace. Amen. So tonight we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, born of the divine seed of our Heavenly Father. We also celebrate the giving of a Son. Say with me, the giving of a Son. Jesus given as a sacrifice by our loving Father. And I mentioned before that we're actually entering into the eighth day of Hanukkah. How many know that's called the Festival of Lights? And how many know that Jesus is the light of the world? And how many of you know that the light of the glory 
of God is rising upon the church. There's a lot to celebrate tonight, just not his birth, not that he was only born, not that he was given, but there is great glory coming on the church. I think it's prophetically significant that we're entering into the last day of Hanukkah, even tonight, goes through tomorrow night, but the eighth day. How many know that eight speaks of new beginnings? How many know that God is bringing us into a new beginning? It is, we're moving into a season of glory, church, amen? And I'm excited about that. You see, Jesus, who was destined to be slain before the foundation of the world, through his death on the cross, saved all mankind from the penalty of sin. But he had come to be not only our Savior, but he came to be the light of the world. And how many know that even us, the church, is a light set upon a hill? And our light is to shine. It's time, not time to run and hide, it's time to arise and shine. We've had a lot of darkness over the last couple of years, have we not? But Isaiah chapter 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness has covered the earth, even deep darkness to people. He said, But my glory shall rise upon you. My glory shall be seen upon you. And kings and Gentiles shall come to the brightness of your rising. How many know that the only light of Christ people are going to see in this earth is you? Amen. We, it's time to shine, church. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in him, say with me, in him, speaking of Christ here, in Christ dwells all the fullness, say with me, fullness of the Godhead bodily or in bodily form. What is he saying here? It says, when we speak about Christ, he is the fullness of the Father. He is the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and of course, himself. You see, when you say Jesus, you've said it all. Amen? So we're going to talk about some of the attributes of the Godhead tonight. Number one, he's wonderful. Is he not wonderful? You see, not only is he wonderful, but his works are wonderful. In Psalm 107, verse 8, says four times, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works. Say with me, wonderful works to the children of men. In one of the Psalms, Psalm 119, it says, so I shall meditate on all of your wonderful works. Sometimes we just need to take a moment and thank God for all the wonderful things that he's done. How many know we're coming in for a landing on this year and we're ready to take off in 2023? Well, as we're landing, we want to give thanks to God that we, are, we made it. We made it to our destination. We made it to the end of the year. Amen. And we need to be thankful for everything God's given us. How many know that God loves a grateful heart? Amen. We need to be thankful. We don't need to murmur and complain about what all went wrong. We need to be thankful in all things. And whatever God's uh, asked us to do in this time and season, we know that we're coming to an end, but we're beginning a new year coming up. Amen. And he is wonderful. The Bible says also that the testimonies of God are wonderful. His testimonies are wonderful. What is he saying here? That means that whatever he speaks in his word or by his spirit is a testimony of his character and of his goodness and of his covenant with man. We need to be thankful for the testimony of the Lord. The, the, the Bible says that we overcame the devil by the, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen? How many know that testimony is a legal term? That we give testimony in the courts of heaven. His testimonies are wonderful. Why? Because every time we give witness of the living Christ in the courts of heaven, it, it's registered to us as 
a benefit of us being righteous because we're declaring the truth about a God who loves us, a God who saves us, a God who delivers us, amen, a God that is for us, not against us. You see, the devil wants to lie to everybody, and he, he, he's the one that steals, kills, and destroys, and then he wants to blame it all on God. How many of you realize that? You know? But even the insurance companies don't get it. Every time a tornado comes by or knocks over a building, they say it's an act of God. Well, God had nothing to do with it. Amen? <laughs> Are you still with me? Amen. God is wonderful and his name is wonderful. Remember the story of Samson. Uh, Samson, uh, his mother was, was barren. And, and, and the, the angel of the Lord, how many know that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Christ? It actually was an appearance of Christ, Christ in the Old Testament. And Manoah ended up being the father of Samson. And the angel of the Lord gave a promise to Manoah that he would, they would have a son and he was to be a Nazarite and that he would judge Israel. Amen. Judges chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Say it with me, wonderful. Amen. Jesus is wonderful. The Father is wonderful. He's full of wonders. We live in a, 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 an era of signs and wonders. Amen? Because when God does signs, we wonder. Amen? But He is a wonderful God. Amen? I'm just preaching right now. Amen? <laughs> There's somebody uh, excited. Oh, there we go. I think I may take you out to dinner afterwards. But we can't because everything's closed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. He's wonderful, but he's also, he's the counselor. Amen? Psalm 33, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. How many know that the counsel of the Lord, the spirit of counsel, created the plans not only of heaven and earth, but he had planned actually our lives before time began. The Bible says that he saved us and he called us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, not before Moses, not before Abraham, not before Adam, but before time began, God knew you and he wrote his plans for your life in a book in heaven. Amen. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, In your book they all were written the days he had fashioned for me when yet there was none of them. God had a plan and purpose for your life. And how many of you know it's a good plan? Amen. Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Amen. God wants you to have hope. Because he's got a good plan. Now you need to find out what that plan is. The only way to get the perfect plan of God for your life is to ask for your scroll that was written in heaven before time began. You know, we have a scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. It says, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And people stop reading right there. And it says, but. How many know that the word but is good in the Bible? But. 
God has revealed them. What? His plans and purposes by his spirit for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. How many know that the plans of God are perfect and they are wonderful? Amen. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. How many know, we all got plans and purposes, but I don't know about you, but I want to follow the plan of God for my life. Amen? And we need to press toward the mark for the prize, because there is a prize for fulfilling the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Not the low call, not the medium call, but the high call. But because we're ignorant of God's plans... We flounder. We end up running in the wrong lane. We end up running in the, the wrong race altogether. How many know we need to get it in the plan of God? And we need to know not only what's written in heaven for our mind's sake, but what's written in heaven needs to be engraved on the tablets of our heart. Amen? So that we run with resolve. And no devil, no person can talk us out of God's plan and purpose for our lives. Amen? And the Holy Spirit was given to us so that we can know his plans. Amen. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth and he will show you things to come. That's the future. How many of you know you don't have to be in the dark about what God's plan is for your life? If you will pray, if you will ask God, he will reveal his plans and purposes for your life. So you're no longer running with a blindfold on. You're no longer running in the dark. You're not on a collision course with someone else. No, you are pressing towards the mark for the prize of God's high calling on your life. Amen? Does that make sense? Are you still out there? Now, how many of you realize that the counsel of the Lord comes from, this is not rocket science, the spirit of counsel? Come on, guys. Come on, come on. Come on, you're not asleep yet. I know you ate a lot of food today. You're not in a food coma yet, right? And I know some of you probably fasted today, right? No. <laughs> How many know that there's seven spirits of God? Have you, anybody heard of that? The seven spirits of God? Out of Isaiah chapter 11, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel. Spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of understanding, spirit of the fear of the Lord. Seven spirits of God. There is a spirit of counsel. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, which is also called the counselor. In the Greek, it's parakletos, that he may abide with you forever. Say with me forever. What the word means, abide means live. That means he will live in you forever. That's a long time. Forever. Not just till you die. Forever. The spirit of truth, listen, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Listen, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Say it with me, in you. How many know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? If you're born again, the Holy Spirit came to rebirth your spirit and the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives inside you. Get a revelation of that. And God has put his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your salvation. Places within you. Amen? That's a powerful truth. How many know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're the temple of God. Amen? We talk about the temple of God in the Old Testament. How many know you're a temple? 
And how many know that the temple of God is to be holy? That means we need to be holy even as he is holy. If we're going to house the Holy Spirit, didn't say the lovely spirit. Said, no, he's the Holy Spirit. So if he's, going to be, if he's holy, he needs to have a holy vessel. Amen? That's why we need to live in a place of repentance in our lives. Amen? In the fear of the Lord. All right, so the helper, the comforter that Jesus sent is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of counsel. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, this is Jesus speaking, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Some people say, oh, well, um, uh, you know, you know, the reason why you, you know Scripture so well is because you're a preacher. No. No, it's because I've meditated on the Word, and the Holy Ghost can just call, call it up. He just calls it up, because it's there. But it comes only through memorization and meditation. How many know you can't meditate Scripture unless you memorize Scripture? You've got to memorize it to meditate on it. Amen? That's how it gets down in your heart. And that's how the Holy Spirit can just call the scriptures up every time. Amen? John 15, 26, Jesus said, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. Say with me, the spirit of truth. Who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own. He always testifies of Jesus. He only speaks what he hears Jesus saying. Just like, the, like, like Jesus, I only speak the words of the Father that I hear the Father saying. I only do the things I see that my Father doing. Amen? So the Spirit of counsel teaches us all things, testifies of Jesus, and brings to our remembrance all things that Jesus says in his word. So, Jesus, he's wonderful. He's the counselor. He's also the mighty God. Amen. I don't know if many of you have been here when um, Dennis Rainier has been. He was just here a week or so ago. And he, and he said, I love that he always says, mighty God, mighty God. You ever notice that? He says, mighty God, mighty God. We need to say that more often because he's mighty. Amen. He is a mighty God. Psalm 89, verse 8. The Lord of God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord. The Lord, he is mighty in understanding. God is mighty. He is mighty in, in strength of understanding. He's also mighty to save. Zephaniah 3:17. The Lord our God in your midst, he is mighty to save. Amen. He is the mighty one. He is mighty to save. The Lord's hand also is mighty. Uh, in the book of Joshua, chapter 4, he talked about not only the parting of the Red Sea, but the parting of the Jordan River. And what did he say about it? He said, why did he do that? Why did God part the Jordan River? Why did he part the Red Sea? He said that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. Say with me, mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. How many know that when, when God does miracles in our midst, people get up out of wheelchairs, when people get healed, when miracles happen, demons come out of people, that people begin to realize that he's mighty. And how many know when signs and wonders begin to happen in our midst, that the fear of the Lord will come upon people, and even sinners. That's what distinguishes I'm not even going to call, you know, how many know that Christianity is not a religion? It's a reality. It's not a religion. It's a reality that's lived out through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so I get so tired of all these people want to argue about if God's real or Jesus is real and stuff like that. You know, Paul put an end to every argument 
Because he said, he goes, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but I came to you in the demonstration of the spirit and power. Yeah. Amen. That your faith was not in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. But what's happened in the body of Christ is we're too lazy to get the power. So we just want to argue people into the gospel. How I many you know it doesn't work? But I tell you what, demonstrations of power by the spirit of God and all arguments. Amen. Come on. You need to come on. I'm preaching better than you're amen. And come on now. And now we got visitors here, but you need to train some of these visitors you brought in. Amen. We're a lively bunch. Amen. I don't care how much food you've had today, how many presents you've opened. There's still work to do. Amen. Come on. You got to work with me now. I'm not the only one working. Come on. All right. He's also mighty in battle. Amen. Jeremiah 32, verse 18. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. I love Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is this king of glory? The strong, the Lord strong and what? Mighty. Say it with me, mighty. Mighty in what? Mighty in battle. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Amen. How many of the Bible says that? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Everybody wanted to make Jesus out to be some wimp. He was a strong man. Amen? In fact, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold like a lion. Amen? You need to get some boldness. Everybody wants to be a lamb. It's time to be a lion. Amen? Time to go to war. I hear people all the time, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Well, you better get with it. You'll be left behind. Amen? He's a fighter. If you're not fighting, how many of the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith? You can have a steel rod in your back. You've got to have a roar in your mouth. Amen? You're not going to make it in this life. You're going to cower and go, uh, go down. How many of you know that there's great judgment? The book, book of Revelation said that he would judge the cowardly. Those who are cowardly would be judged and go into the lake of fire. No time to be a coward. Amen? If you're afraid, do it afraid. Just do it. Amen? We need, we need strength. We need some boldness. How many know that out of the seven spirits of God, probably the one you need the most is the spirit of might? Amen? What does it say? You shall receive what? Power! When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses. We can't be a witnesses if you have no power, if you have no might. He's not looking for mealy-mouthed believers. He's looking for bold, confrontive people. Amen? That will contend for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what he's looking for. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty in body. Not weak. Amen? The Bible talks about those that he has rebuked for running in the day of battle. No, we have to go run to the battle at the gate. How many know that the gates of righteousness have been compromised in America? So we don't run from the gate, we run to the gate. Who's ready for that challenge? Is America worth fighting for? Is your family worth fighting for? Then we better get a sword in our hand. What is it talking about? You know, put on the full armor of God. That's not for a lover, that's for a fighter. Now we are to walk in love, don't get me wrong. 
Don't hear what I'm not saying. Amen? But we need some boldness. We back down too easy. Amen? He is also mighty to the remnant. Isaiah 10, verse 21. 1021, that's my wife's birthday. 1021. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. Not the weak God, not the wimpy God, the mighty God. Who's the remnant returning to? Not a mealy-mouthed person, no. He's, they've come to, to stand with the commander of the, of the Lord's armies. Amen? Who did Joshua meet? He met the commander of the army of the Lord. He said, are you for us or are you for you against us? Neither. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Get in line. You've been AWOL long too long. Way too long. Get back in action. Get on the line. Amen? You need to get on the line. Some of you have been taking a break. You've been in a cave of resignation. You've been in a cave of intimidation. It's time to come out of your cave and let your light shine. Amen? Before men. All right. So he's wonderful. He's the counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. In John chapter 14, it records, If you had known me, Jesus said, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip, how many know Philip always gets in trouble? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. How many know that didn't make Jesus very happy? Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? How many know that he's in the Father, and the Father's in us? Amen. He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Amen? Number five, he is the Prince of Peace. So what does the Prince of Peace do? Number one, he sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace, say with me, peace, himself sanctify you wholly or completely, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many know that your sanctification needs to be in your three parts of your person, your spirit man, your soul, and your body? He sanctifies us wholly unto him. Amen? The Prince of Peace also guards us. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God. What? The peace of God. What, church? The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard or keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Amen? He will keep your heart and your mind. He will keep it safe. He will keep you in peace. He will keep you in the shalom of heaven. Amen? The Prince of Peace also delivers us, Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Your feet. Amen? Everybody's waiting on God to do something. He goes, no. He goes, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, you go and preach the gospel. Amen? 
Amen? I've given you all power against serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. He's given us that power. How many know that Jesus has done everything he's ever going to do about the devil? He's given you the authority. He's the head. We're the body. He's in heaven. Now, we're, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, but we're the body. We're his hands and his feet. He's done everything he's ever going to do about the, Bible, uh, the devil. Amen? So that's why he says uh, that, that those who believe will what? Cast out demons. Don't ask Jesus to cast out demons. He's authorized you to do it. He's authorized you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, free to ever seed, freely give. Amen? He's given us the authority. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. That means you got to put your feet on his neck. Amen? Amen. Over all the power of the devil. All right. So we celebrate the birth of Jesus tonight, the Son of God, who was given by our Father to redeem mankind from sin and reconcile us to God. Now, is that the only reason that the Son was given? Is that the only reason? If it was, my message is over. It's not the only reason. Who wants to know the other reason? Anybody? Or I'm going to close it. I'm going to close it. All right. Let's keep reading. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase, say with me, increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. All right. So he brought Jesus not only to redeem us, but to establish his kingdom in the earth. Amen. And to establish a kingdom, you have to have what's called a government. Amen. He had come to increase the government and the peace of his kingdom. So how does Jesus accomplish that? How does he accomplish the increase of his government and of his peace? What he tells us in the next verse. Or the next part of that verse. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Listen. To order it. Say with me, order it. And establish it. Say with me, establish it. How? With judgment and justice from that time forward forevermore. Amen? So judgment and justice bring order to and establish the kingdom of God on earth. Say with me, judgment and justice. How many know you can't have justice without judgment? Everybody's crying out for justice, but you can't have justice without righteous judgment. I'm glad somebody's excited. Hallelujah. <laughs> you see, how many of you know that because the ecclesia, Mount Zion, the mountain of the Lord's house, is above all the other mountains, according to Isaiah 2.2, that judgment and justice have to be established in the church first for it to be established in the kingdoms of this world. Everyone wants to talk about the seven mountains. You probably could all tell me what they are. The government mountain, the marketplace, the media, education, system, arts and entertainment, family, and religion. Now, a distinction here. 
Christianity is not in the religion mountain. To put it there is an affront to the cross of Christ. The mountain of the Lord's house is above all the other mountains, the Bible says. And it says, all nations shall flow to Mount Zion, to the church, amen? So we, if we're way above all the other mountains, amen, that means we need to establish the government of God in the earth and descend on those mountains for a hostile takeover. Is this going out over YouTube? Yes, it is. Now, we have no guns and swords here tonight, nor machine guns or bombs, Amen. But what we do have is the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? And we have the weapons of our warfare, warfare that are not carnal, but mighty. What are they? Mighty. Come on, what are they? Mighty. Mighty in God to what? To pulling down those strongholds. Amen? You see, it takes a government to take out a government. And if the government of the enemy is over us, we need to do something about it. Amen? If Jesus is the head of all principality, power, and might, and we are part of the church, we are part of his body, that means we're over those principalities and powers too. We need to do something about it. Amen? And if we don't do anything about it, God can't. Not He won't. He can't legally. Okay? Because we are his hands and feet in the earth. All right. So God is wanting to establish judgment and justice in the church. How does he go about doing that? The Bible says that, listen now, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. It says that two places in the Old Testament. Righteousness and justice are also the foundation of his church. How does he establish righteousness and justice in the foundation? Well, he's placed two offices in the body of Christ to establish his foundation. The Bible says that, um, that we are, that the church of Jesus Christ is founded upon the ministry gifts of the apostle and the prophet, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. How many know that's in Ephesians? The household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the Chief cornerstone. So there is a relationship between righteousness and justice and apostles and prophets. Righteousness is established in the foundation by prophets who preach repentance. And justice is administrated by apostles through righteous judgment. That's one of the things that's missing in the body of Christ. People say, oh, well, the apostle, gifted the apostle, has been restored to the body of Christ. Not so much. How do we know that? If there was, if that was happening, how come there's not more justice in the church? The reason there's not justice is because there's no righteous judgment because apostles aren't doing their job. Paul talks about it in his book to the First Corinthians church, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you not worthy to judge in the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life. Do you not appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? 
One of the reasons people don't want to judge is they, mis they misunderstood a scripture where Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Right? That's true if you've not been given authority or responsibility for that which you should judge. Your demarcation of responsibility in judgment has everything to do with what you're responsible for. If you have children and you're responsible for them, then you're authorized to judge them and should. So that's one way you know if you should judge. Am I responsible for this? If you are, then you're responsible to judge it or else God will judge you. Remember, Eli had two sons. Forget their names. Was it Hophni and Phineas? Phineas and Hophni. Well, they were sleeping with the women. I know this is Christmas, but anyway. At the doorstep of the temple. And he would not rebuke his sons. And because of that, there was a curse that came on Eli because he would not judge his sons. Why? Because he was responsible for them. Okay? So if you're responsible, you need to judge it. So what happens is uh, nobody wants to be the bad cop, right? A lot of times apostles are the bad cop. You got to call it like you see it. You need to issue judgment. Because when we do not judge what should be judged, we are in compromise. And that's why we don't see glory in our churches. Because when we wink at sin, we're basically saying goodbye to the Holy Spirit. Because he's holy. Amen. Now, this is not in your notes tonight. I'm just preaching. I will keep going. Praise God. <laughs> That's one reason why we're not seeing the manifestation of glory in our church. Why? Because uh, prophets aren't preaching repentance. The prophet's ministry has been relegated to signs and wonders and given a nice fluffy prophecy to people. And we do that here. I'm, I'm not fluffy. They better be the word of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> but they've forgotten to preach repentance, which is the cornerstone for prophet's ministry. Amen. So uh, there was a guy who had a vision about 20 years ago. He, there was a stool and the Lord, and, and he asked the Lord, what's this stool? There's a leg missing. It's a three-legged stool, but a leg missing. He goes, what's the missing leg? He said, well, there's three, three pegs to this uh, stool. One is... Um, signs and wonders, and the other one's prophecy. He says, what's the missing leg? Preaching repentance, missing in the church. That's why I can't come in my glory, the Lord told the guy. And when apostles fail to judge what they've been responsible before God to judge, we are infantile in our apostolic ministry because that is part of the job. Amen? Titus 1.5. Paul said to Titus, who was a budding apostle, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order, say with me, set in order, the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. There needs to be a leadership that will take responsibility. And the reason why we don't have apostles taking responsibility is because uh, they're in a popularity contest. That's why. Everybody wants to be popular. Everybody wants to be on charisma. Everybody wants to be... But no, nobody wants to get their hands dirty. Amen? And the reason why we haven't seen greater glory is because apostles have failed to judge what God has asked them to judge. Does that make sense? All right, moving right along. Almost finished. All right, let's keep reading. 
Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. Now, what will perform this? Does anybody know I didn't put it on the screen for a reason? It's a, it a quiz question. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What? It'll perform. It'll cause the justice, the judgment of God to be released in the earth. The zeal of the Lord. How many know that there is a cloak of zeal? If you read in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the full armor of God, but it, miss, it, 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 it doesn't list two of the very key parts of that armor. How many know there's a helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, belt of truth, shoes that preach the gospel of peace, amen? But it's missing two pieces of the armor. Number one, the cloak of zeal. The cloak of zeal is a mantle included in the full armor of God that symbolizes a passion. Say with me, passion. To execute divine justice on behalf of the righteous. That's why we need to have the cloak of zeal. The apostles of God need to have the cloak of zeal because they will have a passion to see justice for those that are righteous. Isaiah 59, verse 17, on your screen. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Listen now. He put on garments of vengeance. Say with me, garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. All right. So the cloak of zeal symbolizes a passion to execute divine justice on behalf of the righteous. However, the garments of vengeance, part of the armor of God, symbolizes a passion to execute divine judgment on the wicked. Okay. That's the difference between the cloak of zeal and the garments of vengeance. How many know that God wants to judge the wicked for your sake? Amen. And he wants to execute justice for your sake. That's why you need the garments of vengeance and the cloak of zeal. Isaiah 42, verse 13. The Lord shall go forth like what kind of man? Mighty man. Say with me, mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yet shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. How many know that there are enemies of God? We say, oh, well, God loves everybody. Not so much. <laughs> he has enemies. Amen? In 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 16, there was a, a man by the name of Jehu. How many know that Jezebel got away? On the day of confrontation... When Elijah confronted the 450 prophets of Baal, that Jezebel was out of town. She was in Jezreel. How many know that there was a showdown at Mount Carmel? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Why do you halt between two opinions? Either the Lord is God or Baal is God. So there was a showdown at Mount Carmel. Amen. And we know what happened. The prophets of Baal, 450 of them, cut themselves, tried to get Baal to manifest. Nothing happened. Now it's Elijah, Elisha's turn. 
All right, put a bunch of water on this sacrifice. Just keep pouring it on there. How many know we, we serve a God who answers by fire? Amen. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the sacrifice. And the people of Israel said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. These are the kinds of demonstrations of power that we need in this hour. Amen. To turn the wicked to the Lord. Amen. Why do we halt between two opinions? Amen. Well, anyway, Jezebel got away for a while. But Jehu went to seek vengeance. And what did he say? Then he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. He got in his chariot and went there. And he confronted Jezebel. But you know what? The eunuchs threw her down. He didn't even have to throw her down. The eunuchs threw her down. Amen? Zechariah 8.2 says... Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. Say with me, zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. You see, the Lord is zealous to order and establish his kingdom by bringing justice to and through his saints and judgment to his adversaries. So as we celebrate Christ's birth, let's resolve tonight that in the coming year, that we will order and establish God's kingdom in the zeal of the Lord through righteous judgment and justice. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is born.